this is Stephanie Rupert. Thank you for tuning in to the Meaning of Everything podcast, where we peel back the layers of what we know and attempt to gain the deepest possible understanding of who we are as a species. Today is episode 11, and today I am going to be talking about the history of Christmas. Hi, what's up? Happy holidays if you happen to celebrate. Christmas and or Christmas Eve, today is your jam if you happen to celebrate them but find the holidays to be really challenging because family or whatever, I'm actually, I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> just, I'm going to stop joking now and just get real. I'm really sorry if that's the case. Uh, I know that, that people are hard, but it is, as hard as it is, it is important to be as loving and show up for people as much as we can be as loving as possible and show up for people as much as we can. So uh, happy, happy holidays. If you celebrate other things, happy holidays for those as well. I am currently, well, I pre-record these, so it's not quite Christmas yet, but I will be in Detroit at this time, which is lovely and full of snow. And I'll be with my family who's actually, they're absolutely fantastic. And I will be having a elf hat on my head from the time I step out of the airport door until the time I step back into the airport door because uh, I don't know why but we have an insistence there is a rule holiday hats always so that's me this holiday season at this moment I am probably sipping copious amounts of eggnog sipping <laughs> I am gulping copious amounts of eggnog with at least one Christmas hat on my head, if not more. So uh, this week, I'm only doing one episode, taking a little bit of a break for the holidays. Just one episode off. I didn't have a guest on this week, so it's just going to be one episode of just me. It'll be like an X episode. It's 11, kind of 11X, can you know something like that. Can it be both at the same time? Uh, maybe I can do a podcast on identities and metaphysical oneness at another point in time. But uh, yeah, so this is an, an 11, 11X. I'll talk really briefly. I thought it could be fun to do a brief history of Christmas. I happen to know, I happen to know a fair bit. I think it's really important. So today, culturally, we have this like war on Christmas and we have this massive industry around Christmas. It's just, it's such a big deal for us uh, for so many ways. We're so emotionally attached to it in so many different ways. And this war on Christmas especially is about this institution, this sacred holiday that's always been here and that now liberals and secular people and people who hate religion and stuff like that. I mean, obviously not, of course, but these charges are being made that they're attempting to ruin Christmas simply by being inclusive to other traditions. And this is a part of the whole fear, uh, fear mongering that's happening all around the world having to do with others. You know, for humans, it's so easy to be tribalistic. It's so deeply wired in us to like people who are like us and to dislike people who aren't like us. Like that's just Unfortunately, you know, that's one of the massive tragedies of humanity. Unfortunately, that's something that's pretty deeply wired in us. And it's so easy, so, so easy for us to do that. And so I think it's really important for us to do everything we can to push back against those impulses, of course, and also to culturally understand like historical literacy, I think is very important for understanding how we got to where we are today 
and specifically with respect to this idea of Christmas, understanding how much the holiday has changed throughout time, right? So yes, it's not directly eroding the structures in our society that are encouraging us to distrust people who are different from us, to distrust immigrants, to you know anybody of a different faith, a different religion, what have you. I'm talking about the history of Christmas is not going to erode that. Hopefully this podcast over time can give you some resources to help you do that in yourself and with your communities. Uh, but a, a part of that is understanding here at Christmas how much it's changed over time. And of course, I mean, we all know that Christmas isn't actually Jesus's birthday. Well, you know, we, we know that. Um, and so, and it's also kind of interesting. It's really fascinating. And actually a lot of the history of Christmas is about class struggle. Like it's very political. And in that sense, it's, it's pretty relevant to, you know, what's, what's happening today. And of course, <clears throat> the stories about the manger, being an immigrant and a woman with a child and, and saying that, you know, it was immaculately conceived, all this sort of stuff. People believing Mary when she said that, these are all beautiful things important about the story. Unfortunately, that's not what I'm going to focus on today. Um, I will, I will try to, I will try to not talk for too long. I have to write down the time. Uh, so I know not to talk for too long. Okay. So the history of Christmas <laughs> the very earliest origins of Christmas, obviously in the West, in Europe, uh, it's fascinating. Christmas became a holiday. We all kind of know that it's around the solstice, right? The winter solstice is the time of least light, right? There's the least amount of sunlight. We all know that. And that is very symbolic. And that is one reason that the holiday takes place at this time. Uh, but there's <laughs> a couple of other reasons. One is that all the animals were dead and the other is that the wine was ready, right? And so throughout the year, it's really, you can't, it's hard to feed cattle during the winter, right? So you, they would slaughter the cattle before, before the harsh winter set in. And so this, this was often for many societies, the only time of the year that they had fresh meat. So it was a great time for feasting. People really stocked up on eating their animal stuff. And also the grapes or whatever other fruits that were being fermented throughout the year after they had been harvested uh, are also done. So you have a ton of meat and you have a ton of booze and nothing has changed in 2000 years. Yeah, am I right? So <clears throat> that's sort of the origins of why there are festivals at this time. And uh, we see some we see some traditions crop up around that. So for example, in Scandinavia, uh, when it was super, super dark, um, fathers and sons, families would go out and collect really, really big logs, Yule logs. This was the Yule festival, collect really big Yule logs and burn them. And they would burn, they're so large, they would sometimes burn for 12 days, 12 days of Christmas. Yeah. And th it was thought that the each spark off of this log represented uh, some livestock that would be available to eat. Um, to kill and to eat in, in the forthcoming year. So there was a lot of symbolism attached to this, the longest night of the year, a time when you're memorializing the animals that you've eaten and hope to be able to eat in the year to come. And of course, you, you drink a lot and you light things on fire. Um, and then uh, in Germany, um, there was the, the god Odin, the figure Odin, would fly from the sky at night 
all of the time and judge like who was worthy and who was not, who was a good boy and who was a good girl, bad boy, bad girl, you know, you're naughty or nice. Um, Odin used to do this. And obviously in December, Odin was the most powerful, had the most time to fly around and judge people. And so they were trying to appease, appease Odin by, by being good and stuff. So these are some roots in, in Northern Europe. And then in places like Rome, there were also, you know, there were also holidays. Uh, we know kind of, we've talked about the Saturnalia sometimes when people are talking about the history of Christmas or decide to celebrate paganism or adopt pagan holidays into their traditions. I know a lot of atheists who say at Christmas time they celebrate Saturnalia. Okay, cool. Um, some people do it very um, intentionally and with a sense of the sacred and others are flippant. So, um, and the Saturnalia was uh, all about the harvest also and very fascinating. It was just a giant rager, like for a whole month, the city would go wild, the schools were closed, businesses were closed, and they would invert the social order, which is very fascinating. Slaves would become masters, you know, the society would reshuffle itself. It was like Mardi Gras in terms of its partying, you know, just like kind of wild and feasting uh, and people would all of the laws would be abandoned for a little while, which is just, which is really fascinating. And there was also a, a festival called Juvenalia, which honored children. Juven is the root here. If you speak uh, Spanish or French, you can, Italian, you can hear it in there, Juvenalia. And also uh, there was a, there was a God, the birth of Mithra, the God of the unconquerable sun was often celebrated by the upper classes in Rome. And this date was December 25th. Just, does that ring a, you know, does that ring a bell? It's very important. So um, that's, that's really, really fascinating. And then Christianity, it's a tidal wave over, over Rome and, and over everywhere over the course of the next couple hundred years. Uh, but Christianity developed and actually Christmas wasn't a Christian holiday at all for a very long time. And we're pretty sure that Jesus was born sometime in the spring because that's when shepherds are shepherding. Uh, but it was in the fourth, fourth century uh, that Pope Julius the first chose Christmas as December 25th and called it the feast of the nativity. And this was only after people, powerful leaders, men in the Christian church decided that they wanted to use the holiday to, you know, change the holiday from being something pagan into being something Christian because the holiday was there and it was being practiced in this pagan way. And, and what a better way to convert people, to make people more loyal to your, to your views than to taking the parties and making them yours. So uh, that happened. Pope Julius I declared uh, the December 25th Christmas officially. And then it spread to all corners, all corners of Europe um, over the course of the next few hundred years. By the 700s, it had made it all the way to Scandinavia. And of course, it also spread to eastern parts of Europe. Uh, but it is uh, celebrated differently and later, you know, 13 days, 13 days later as well. So then we see this continue to be a party in the Middle Ages. Now, the Middle Ages were a very hard time and a very socially stratified time. There were a few people, you know, not all, most of the people didn't have money. Only some of the people had money. A lot of the people were poor. 
And during this time, Christmas became raucous. And the, each year a beggar or a student would be claimed the king of misrule, the lord of misrule. And people would volunteer, voluntarily be this person's subjects and they would march around and whatever. It again was mirroring this Roman theme of inverting the social order. And then uh, they, the poor would go around to rich people's houses and like knock on their doors and demand their finest food and wine. And if they didn't comply with their demands would be, and I quote, I think I read this on, on the History Channel website once and never forgot it. They would like trick them with mischief. You know, like what, <laughs> most likely, this is a quote, most likely terrorize them with mischief. Like what, you know, it's like, what does that mean? What are you brushing under the rug there? That sounds horrifying to have people come to your house and demand your food and drink. But if it's a part of the custom, then, then you're used to it. Um, and apparently it would happen. And that was just acceptable. And everybody was super drunk anyway. They would go to church in the morning and then get drunk at night. Like it was a festival where you just you did a little bit of churching and then you did a lot of raging and not much more was nothing else was expected of you. That's, that's kind of what it was. Um, after the Protestant Reformation and many different kinds of Christianity started popping up, some people got really serious, you know, the Protestant Reformation, some became more liberal, some became more conservative. The Puritans outlawed Christmas. They were like, no way, none of this drinking and boozing stuff. And Oliver Cromwell, who came into power in England as a king, you know, uh, took power, outlawed Christmas, period. And the Puritans, who had just gotten a boat to sail to America, outlawed Christmas in, in their colony in the States as well. As a matter of fact, it was illegal from 1658 to 1681 to do anything Christmas-related in Boston, in the city of Boston, although other settlements were, were not the same. So that's just very interesting. America was founded in a site that forbade Christmas. And now America's like, we have Christmas and you're a warring on our Christmas. But the founding fathers lived in a world in which Christmas was banned. Well, I guess the founding fathers were about a hundred years after that. But the founding founding fathers lived in a world in which Christmas was banned. And Christmas wasn't really practiced during the revolution. In fact, Christmas was regarded as an English custom. And so people, English customs fell out of favor and people didn't want to practice it. People, people were averse to Christmas because it was associated with, you know, the, the, the English rule. And so the founding fathers in that sense really didn't have Christmas. It wasn't banned like it had been previously, but it just, it wasn't, wasn't a part of the culture. Christmas made a comeback in the 1800s, eventually, slowly. Um, and this was, this was in large part, again, because of class struggle. Because there's this history, right, this European history of um, the poor inverting the Christmas, the social order, and going to houses and, and demanding the food and the drink and, and what have you. And there were actually Christmas riots um, in the early 1800s. You know, the country started industrializing. Um, there were laborers and immigrants coming in and, and a lot of, have you ever seen Gangs of New York? Like that kind of style 
stuff was happening around Christmas, specifically for the reason, again, that it was associated with this hierarchy, this class hierarchy. But then, very interesting, in 1819, Washington Irvin, Irving, a famous writer, um, especially at the time, wrote a series of, you know, wrote a story about this aristocratic family, you know, this nice wealthy family, welcoming lower class citizens into their home to share their food and drink. And it was all very convivial and kind and everybody was happy and chatting with each other. And this then is sort of the bedrock moment that we decided to turn Christmas, we, <laughs> that it happened that Christmas stopped being about the tensions between classes and the poor making demands and rather everybody deciding that they would come together in harmony and share their resources on this day. And then Christmas becomes a time for giving. Just, just fascinating because it, it hadn't been at all before. But in a country that is turning more democratic, that is turning its eye to progressive values and stuff like that, you know, in some way you could even argue that Christmas is a very progressive thing for, precisely for this reason which is just interesting. I'm just saying. This is also around the same time that The Christmas Kill was written. And very interestingly, um, you know, families used to be, and there's a lot of writing about this in the Enlightenment by writers such as Rousseau and Locke, that uh, discipline was very firm with children. You know, you weren't exactly particularly soft with your kids. They thought you, that that would spoil you. But they were sort of coming around. The family unit was being more celebrated at this time. People were questioning the, the dogma about disciplining kids. And so Christmas became a time when you could like, quote unquote, spoil your children, but not spoil them. You know, you could lavish love and attention and gifts um, and not spoil them, which again is uh, really interesting that that sort of inversion happened. And we don't even, obviously, we don't even think about that kind of thing today. And then Christmas was not declared a federal holiday until 1870. It was after the Civil War, you know? It's like General Grant and stuff. So, and then all the other customs, we like, we picked them from various cultures around Europe and the development of, you know, Christmas over time, like the Yule Log. Now we have this candied thing, but it came from the Yule Log, right? And Christmas coming from the the myths of, you know, Germany and the, like the scary, you know, the Odin stuff like that, that, that's Santa Claus comes from that history, from that lineage of, uh, from Odin and, uh, the Christmas trees, you know, bringing the trees inside and decorating them with lights. That's all from that, that rich history. And so Christianity then and Christmas then is sort of a amalgamation made by a country that was, you know, taking on its own character. Like Amer like Christmas in this sense, the way it's practiced today is very much an American holiday because of the way that it developed in the country. And then of course, in the 1900s, it became very commercialized, capitalistic, you know, the traditions were adopted by the Rockefeller Center with the tree and uh, Rudolph in 1939 was developed by was a story written to get people into department stores, like it was advertising, you know, all of this, like, and then it just becomes wrapped up in capitalism. And so everybody's like, where is the Jesus in Christmas? People are always looking for it. But uh, the Jesus in Christmas has, of course, always been there. But, uh, but it's just one piece of this much larger story of class struggle and family traditions. And, 
histories with various uh, various cultures sprinkled throughout Europe, especially the pagan cultures, you know? So uh, that's, that's the history of Christmas. And maybe that, maybe that's interesting to you. It was interesting to me when I was doing some research for this, because it's not necessarily my, my wheelhouse per se. I knew a little bit beforehand, but I had to do a little bit of reading. Uh, it was very fascinating for me to learn, learn how much this, this holiday has changed and how much it's been involved with, you know, social dynamics over time. So uh, that's some cool stuff you can you know, tell around the fireside or, or whatever, you know, just, <sighs> I will hopefully not be repeating this podcast at length under the influence of several eggnogs, which is totally, totally possible, but I suppose I can update that for you, keep you posted on what, <laughs> what unfolds. Uh, in, in a later episode after the holiday actually happens for me. Um, I'm going to stop talking now. It's been a while. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I am very happy to connect with you in this warmest and loveliest of times. And again, if it's not warm and lovely for you, I extend you my love and my warmth. I, I am happy happy to chat with you as always. Next week, we're back and I have on um, a really, really fantastic guest talking about his experiences growing up in an evangelical community. Uh, it was really form challenging and formative for him. And he has a lot of beautiful ideas about what it means to be human coming out of that. So very much looking forward to Tyler Tully next week. And thank you all again. I will see you later.